0: Hi, Chris. How are you?
1: Yeah, hi, Rod. Here we are, episode 15. This is coming around really quick now.
0: They really are. 3rd of May 2022. So, we can dive straight into follow-up, I think, Chris. You had some homework with CarPlay and Castro.
1: Yeah, no, I did, actually. and actually learned something about CarPlay, which I didn't know. So, interesting side fact, if you install an app and you run it on your phone, it works fine. But if you go into Settings, General, CarPlay, pick your car, then pick Customize, the app won't display until you've actually been into CarPlay whilst having that app installed, if that makes some sense. So you need the app installed and to have launched CarPlay for the app to appear. I guess when CarPlay launches, it then goes, oh, I've got a new CarPlay app, and I guess it registers itself, which kind of makes sense, but I thought it would have done when the app was originally installed. So I've learned that. that That's new, which is good. And the app did appear. It was okay. I didn't use it a huge amount because I kind of moved back to my normal podcasting habits at that point but it it, it was fine it wasn't bad all all carplay apps seem to be better than apples which is disappointing if if i'm brutally honest but there you go interesting carplay fact
0: yeah that is interesting i didn't know that i hadn't come across it i mean it's been a a, well it's been a year now since i've used carplay or anything and i did like it when i had it. it it was quite a together thing but at the same time, I noticed that even a year ago, is that most apps were better by other developers than Apple's. It just feels like they're sleeping on it a bit, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I don't get it. How a one-man band or a couple of people band can make a better app than Apple, who have all the money. Um. Also, I'm a big believer they should make CarPlay and Android
0: Auto mandatory in all vehicles. Job done. I don't disagree. I occasionally look at my, my Volkswagen bus thing that I've got and think, should I get a second-hand CarPlay head unit for this instead of what's in there? But The complexities of stuff like this are a little beyond me. I think there's this modern standard called CAMBUS. It's called something like CAMBUS. So if you've got reversing sensors and all that kind of stuff built into your vehicle, you need something that supports it, or at least Volkswagen support that. So I'd need to look for a head unit that had that and CarPlay and the rest of it. So it's just more complex than it should be. I think it's a problem
1: you can outsource and you just pay somebody to install the head unit. Because like you, I don't think I would fancy doing it myself.
0: No, no, I, I don't know. I mean, the Tesla doesn't have uh, CarPlay in any way, shape, or form. You've got to use Tesla's own apps, and I've come to deal with that. Famously doesn't have CarPlay, I think. A few people have commented that it doesn't have CarPlay, and I can understand why, but in given the size of the screen in the middle of a Model 3, there's no reason they couldn't split screen, or I'll give you a third of the screen for CarPlay, really. And I have seen one developer who can mirror uh, what's going on in your phone uh, and, and sort of dummy it to be carplay so you can have apps running which is quite clever but it's a little laggy I believe I should maybe try it for science someday
1: so I've never driven a Tesla I don't think I've even sat in a Tesla but I am a little curious because recently there were some laws in the UK about you really can't touch a phone that that you're not using so why if you want to send a text or make a phone call does does Tesla do that through your phone I've literally have no idea
0: no, the Tesla phone calls are handled, handled similarly to you'd expect them to be in Bluetooth. So they just appear as incoming calls. You get a little call symbol up on the display. You can answer or, or, or reject it. And with a little bit of jiggery, pokery in Bluetooth, you can get it received text as well, and it will read texts out that you've received. It doesn't work so well with group texts, but it will read out, and you can't dictate text to it just on the screen. So it's good enough.
1: Okay. All right, fair enough. Whilst CarPlay, I bang on about CarPlay. I love it. It hasn't moved that much generally, See other Apple topics, but I think as a basics is awesome. So I've been driving a 15 year old Mini for the last six months with zero CarPlay, and I did debate getting a CarPlay unit for it, but I knew I had a car in order and didn't know how long it was going to take. Turns out my car is coming this week and it's going to have CarPlay on the main screen, but it will also support the maps function where you can have the map in between the driver's dials and it will support map directions on heads up display. So I'm quite interested to see how all of that jiggery-pokery is going to work, for want of a better word. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to trying all of that out because I've never used CarPlay outside of it. just being on the entertainment screen.
0: No, it sounds really intriguing, and it is definitely a, a fault of Tesla that you are only stuck with what they give you. Some of the media has been covering how there was a big update to Tesla software for the Model 3s and the newer cars with the sort of horizontal screens, as opposed to the original Model X and the Model S. And you can see what Tesla are working towards as an app store so you have running apps down the bottom and you can launch the theater so you can have netflix when you're parked or you can launch the various horn fun so you can have it play Jukes of hazard or toss a coin to your witcher instead of just the meep noise some people want that but when you launch that screen for the apps, the cameras, everything else are in there, and you can now save what you want. So if you want the camera ability on all the time, so that's the cameras and the wing mirrors and the rear view camera and you know what the various cameras are in the vehicle, you can turn them on. And when you're driving, instead of seeing the map, you can see all the cameras so all the cars around you all the time, as well as you haven't been in a Tesla, so you don't know this, that you kind of get ghost cars on the screen. It's always watching what's going on around it, so you can see in your blind spot, whether there's a car coming up behind you, what's behind you, if you stop at lights, you can zoom it out and see the queue of traffic behind you with trucks and motorbikes and all sorts of stuff. That's quite cool. So the ability to have that's quite nice, but I wonder ultimately where they're going. Maybe they'll release CarPlay as an app inside of Tesla at some point. I don't know. But, you know, it's interesting. So I think when you get your car, we should maybe... uh, take all this motoring stuff that we're doing here and have another little just special section just for a couple of weeks on that to compare them. Yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. I've got one side question for you then. So how do you listen to Apple Music or or don't you? How does that work?
0: Well, Spotify is built into the vehicle and I don't pay for it. So I'll just, I know I gave up Spotify a few weeks ago. Uh, So that comes with the vehicle as part of the sort of package that you get with it to get your LTE support on the vehicle so you can download maps and all that kind of stuff as you go, as well as all the other bits and pieces that you get through the app. Warm it up in the morning before you get in it and all the rest of it. So, Spotify just comes as part of that. I can, of course, stream from my phone if I want as well. So, I can set streaming going. In my case, I set overcast because I'm back on overcast, having tried Castro for a little bit for my podcasting app. But I could actually use tune in radio or something built into the car if I wanted. But I like overcast. So, I can stream from that point of view. And I can still hit pause on the display of the car to pause the Bluetooth. Right.
1: Okay. I guess 2017. I just got used to driving a CarPlay car. So, I'm guessing. I've just forgotten how the world worked without CarPlay. I understand.
0: You can get on with it. That's enough on on cars. I think we've kind of got off on there. You're right, though. Let's pick it up once I've got this
1: car and we can try it. Maybe it'd be interesting to compare compare a few notes because does some of this stuff work as well in reality as as the promise.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, that anybody who listens to this podcast might be interested in a review of an electric car as well. And having an established one like a Tesla, which you haven't been in, maybe we'll have to actually physically meet up at some point and, and see these cars in person yeah, and just cool. have a go in each other's cars and, and see what how we find them. So yeah, excellent. Okay. Brilliant. Moving on. My homework was I had, I was said I was going to do a little more pachinko, but I just haven't come back to it, which I think in itself, is quite telling. I did enjoy it, but it's not grabbed me enough that I've rushed back to watch it again. So, sorry, no Pachinko. Maybe I'll get to it next week, but I think some of the stuff we were talking about last like last week, the documentaries that have come out since, I'm probably more interested in than that. And I have got a little more to discuss when we get to the media section, so haven't done Pachinko. How did you get on yeah. with Severance?
1: I think I'm at a similar place with p- Pachinko. It was interesting, but it just didn't grab me. Severance, sadly, in the UK, we've had the snooker on, and managed to get my children into it quite heavily. So uh, that absorbed pretty much most of my free TV time last week. So I uh, haven't watched Severance either, but I don't think I haven't watched it because I haven't enjoyed it. I do really want to get on with the next one. I've just been enjoying the snooker, which ended on Monday night, running itself seven, won one seventh world title. So it was good. For me, it was a good end because I remember growing up watching him. So it's nice to see him do that.
0: Fair enough. Good stuff. I think that'll do it for follow up. We can
1: move on to the news. So over to the news then. So. First topic, then we've got the Dutch regulator still unsatisfied with Apple's rules. Uh, do you know much about this one? I haven't caught up much on this. So I've kind of just let it all wash over until we get to the end.
0: Yeah, it's the first of a couple of legal wars that Apple got ongoing this week, really. And I thought this was interesting, actually. This is the Dutch regulator about payment for dating apps, if we remember all that. And the Dutch regulator, whose acronym is the ACM, the Authority for Consumers and Markets has already fined Apple 50 million euros between January and March this year, and basically Apple have made some changes, as we've talked about in this podcast before, making a few abilities for alternate payment systems to be put into place. But they're still more or less charging the, the you know the overheads that they were before, almost 30, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Effectively, the Netherlands have hit the maximum they can fine Apple. They're still not happy, and they're going to look into finding them again a similar amount for the future. So, th- this is a story that's going to run and run. I think, and you know, we will talk about some of the other legalities that they're facing up and coming, which are probably going to be far more impactful for Apple than this one, because 50 million euros is an awful lot of money, but it's still pocket change to them. Uh, and if anything was going to so, sort of demonstrate that they can respond to quite serious countrywide legalities to the use of their applications, you would think something like this would make them pay attention, but hasn't. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that they've, yeah, we've come this far and we're going to go further.
1: Yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised that They've let this happen and drag on a little bit. It's not a great look, but then part of me is also thinking how many people outside of the tech news world is aware of this and and, and all of that, so it's probably storming a teacup, I think, for them.
0: It is, but I think it's another st- sort of straw that's building up on the camel's back, particularly when we look at what the EU are planning for them uh, a little bit later on. But Let's do a slightly more interesting news story, and we'll come back to legalities, I think. Apple Music is now available on Roku streaming devices, so Roku streaming devices here in the UK are primarily little sticks which people can plug into their TVs to watch Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the rest of it. They're super cheap, actually. You can get them for as low as 20 quid on some offers that I've seen for a 4K device. So, And they encompass all the app stores, so they're quite popular, I think. And in fact, uh, also in the UK, there's a service called Now TV, which is uh, owned and operated by Sky. And their streaming sticks are actually modded Roku sticks. They've got a license agreement with Roku. They can uh, put uh, now TV on there, but they're limited in terms of what else they can install from the app store. So it's potentially quite a big market, certainly in the UK. And I know in America, you can get TVs with Roku built in and soundbars with Roku built in. So having Apple Music available on another platform, it's quite interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's great they're growing it out. They should have done ages ago with Apple Music and with, say, Apple TV. I have tried this on the PlayStation 5. It was all right. Signed into the app. Just had a had kick around. And then I realized, actually, I've got two HomePods in the room. i just call out to that when I want to listen to some of my Apple Music. So I have have flirted with it. I think it's great they're doing it. Get everybody on there. Why, why wouldn't you do that? So um, It's good to see it, which is kind of why I was asking about your Tesla earlier. Like you said, if they're going to do a store, you could see an Apple Music app coming there.
0: Yeah, I mean, Spotify is everywhere, isn't it? So I, I think Apple, if they want to grow this platform, need to make it more accessible in the same way that they've done Apple TV+. Plus. And a, sort of a breaking story, just as we started recording the podcast, is that the Apple Music Beta 3.10 for Android now has a sleep timer built into it. Which And you don't get that on an iOS device. So there's actually features appearing on these other platforms before they're even appearing in Apple ones. Yeah,
1: I, I wonder two things on this. One, are we about to see some stuff at WWDC? And two, are some of these things coming to Android? Because for whatever reason, the development got held up on iOS. And so it's been a a slight update, but it is bizarre that non-first party platforms are getting the functionality first. But do you know what? I kind of respect them if they're getting the functionality out there to people, because we had the same about interactive widgets, didn't we, on Android, that you can play and pause and skip, I think, on their widgets, but you can't on iOS because they are non-interactive
0: yeah they are non interactive and maybe we'll see a little bit of that in, in the upcoming betas for iOS is that it will become a little more interactive I think with Swift UI and the developments around you know the various platforms that Apple has now that they've got a point where they could sort of really push it forward and you said before that it was one of your hopes for the next version of of iOS and, and iPadOS that they would become more interactive so that would be a nice you would have thought relatively easy thing for them to do as a quick win to sort of achieve parity with those platforms really.
1: Yeah, you'll be really good. And do you know what? We're in about four or five shows away, so it's
0: not long to go. You're not wrong. Yep, so interesting. Good to see that they're doing it. Good to see that they're pushing on, you know, actually making the other platforms more advanced than what we get on the Mac and uh, the iOS. So,
1: good. I wonder if actually we're going to see the payoff this year of them doing all the slow bits of arranging the chess pieces in order, and actually it's all going to culminate because they've got Catalyst, they've got SwiftUI, and it's... all all this convergence onto one set of sort of development across all platforms. I wonder if, if now actually that will bear some fruit, like some serious fruit of consistency and functionality.
0: I would hope so, and you have to think, typically when Apple releases uh, the next version of the operating system, older Macs suffer, so I think at the moment, Macs and iPads are supported up to about 2015, it was sort of the chip sort of base we've got to, so if they cut the 2015 ones, maybe now they've got enough power through Apple Silicon and the later Intel devices that they can sort of really push them forward a little bit more, and who knows, maybe that is what's holding them up.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out, but I think if you look at that strategy from five years ago, right, let's move everything together, that is now pretty much there of having one way of developing and reinvesting in the Mac. That's finally, like I say, all, all come together through these strands, having one common chip architecture, for example. So yeah, it's gonna I think it's been exciting, yeah.
0: It is. And onto something that might be exciting for Apple in a, a bad way is that the European Commission has formally issued a, an antitrust notification to Apple. So the, the commission has sent a statement of objection to Apple over practices regarding Apple Pay. So it's a preliminary view at this point, but the EU has said that it believes Apple has abused its dominant position in markets for mobile wallets and iOS devices. It's, it's hard not to argue with that, isn't it? There is only one mobile payment system on Apple devices, and that is Apple Pay in the Apple Wallet app. And the argument is that them locking down the NFC chip inside of devices is stopping fair competition in that market. I suspect the same argument could maybe be placed at Google, but then, no, I'm going to immediately walk back from that because Google don't lock it down in the same way. You can have Google pay on a device and you can have Samsung pay on a device and you can have other things. So Google haven't locked it down in quite the same way. So it's I do think Apple will find it difficult to argue with they are the only people who are allowed to do anything with the NFC chip on the, on one of these devices.
1: Yeah, <sighs> Part of me I was thinking, I wonder how many uh, legal battles Apple's fighting around the world at any one time, because there just seems to be a new, new one every other week. And obviously they are very, in degrees of um, size, I guess is the right word. I th- I think this is right. I mean, it's just a no-brainer, isn't it? They need they to support other ways. And if and they're going to make Apple do it, they need to obviously make Google do it. So maybe if you're on Google, you can have an Apple wallet, and if you're on Apple, you can have a Google wallet. But how many people do that, I've no idea, but it should
0: be there as an option. The thing I really don't understand about this is, why not offer the option anyway? If Visa have their own payment app, then fine. People have the option to install it and Apple can say, or you can use ours. All they need to do is open the platform up enough that people have the choice if they just want to use the Visa one or the American Express one or you know the Google one, as you said. I suspect most iOS users would still trust the platform owner and put their card details into Apple Pay. They could come away looking quite shiny, going, yep, we've opened the platform up, knock on, You can have, you know, with appropriate credentials issued by Apple, you can have access to the NFC chip. And they'd come out of it smelling a lot more of roses than they are at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's just one less battle, isn't it, I think.
0: Yeah, and they seem to just want all the battles. They're they're not winning a lot of friends. Amongst hardened users like us, if we can see you know, the, the issues that Apple has building up, surely they can, or are they just so blind they think they can get away with it?
1: I think they've traded on. They're just too big to deal with, but it does feel things are going to start giving, which probably leads us nicely into our next story.
0: Yeah, so this is uh, about Apple's self-repair program. For a long time, if you wanted parts for Apple uh, devices, then, well, A, they were either very difficult to get hold of or almost impossible to get hold of, or you had to get copies effectively. But now, I think this comes from uh, an American law called right to repair, where if you own a device, you should be able to buy the parts for it and and fix it yourself, not have to take it to an Apple-authorized reseller or repairer. So Apple has now released a store where you can buy parts Quite expensive parts, but you can buy parts to fix these devices yourselves. You've ever to a go at fixing anything from Apple, Chris?
1: Years and years ago, I think I was trying to replace a screen on an iPhone 5. I'm going to just, just pick an arbitrary number there. Didn't enjoy it. It's not my skill. End up breaking the phone to be. Really honest it's just just not for me if my phone's broken i'd rather have somebody do it i'm lucky a good friend of mine that i work with is very capable and has serviced a couple of phones and macbook batteries for me i find this really interesting i think it's great they've done it big tick like again this is something that's been questioned for a long time apple have obviously conceded and they've done that with it i find it strange that it's self-servicerepair.com that is their web store completely unbranded i just I get they want to distance themselves a little from it because you go to Apple because you, you get taken care of. But for it to look like it's completely unassociated with Apple, it seems a bit bizarre to me. Just the way it's presented, and I get they farmed it out, but you'd have thought they'd have farmed it out to a partner that would be maybe branded on Apple or maybe would have a sub Apple brand on it. I, I don't. Know, I just find it a bit bit strange.
0: Yeah, I agree. It is is it's quite an it's not an apple looking website is it? It's not an apple looking experience of something. But as you say The people who are visiting this website probably know exactly what they want. They can feel confident in what it is they're going to do. I had a similar experience to you. I had a dock connector go on an iPhone 4S. I got the right screwdrivers from iFixit.com. I got the right part from iFixit.com. I took it apart. Something went boing and vanished into the distance and I could never put it back together again adequately. So I'd never in hell think about taking one apart to fix it myself.
1: I've got no interest in it in the fit and finish. You're just not going to get it. But no, I think it's good they've done it. And I get why they've distanced themselves a little from it. I just, I don't know, it just feels a little a little strange in their final approach. But hey, they're moving forwards. And do you know what? Sometimes we may need to concede on how Apple implements something for them to concede on on accepting they need to, 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 to do something different than how they would like. And maybe this is what that looks like. And I'm all right with that.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, before everybody thinks I'm completely inept, I did manage to take a, an iMac 27 inch apart, take the screen off it, and change the spinning disk in it to an SSD. And that all went back together properly as well. So I have occasionally managed to repair where it hasn't gone off. That is not a nice experience. I actually needed to buy a bit of um, glass removing tool from ScrewFix to get the screen off because the screens are magnetically sealed to the computers and you, you sort of pull them off straight away from the device and then there's a connector for the for the screen on the back i would again i wouldn't do it again and i I suspect it's not even possible with more modern Macs.
1: i generally wonder why why they do it like that surely they are making their own lives harder the volume they must repair these things in you'd have thought there could be a neat way of having the, the back come off from the screen rather than taking the screen and you know, as your doorway into the guts of the machine? I, I find it bizarre.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not a straightforward thing. But then uh, anybody who's familiar with your studio display, uh, to disconnect the cable, the power cable, from the studio display, Apple sell the most ridiculous-looking tool to apply even force to pull the cable out the back. That is so much more difficult than just giving a, a three-pin IEC cable so people can plug it in and get on.
1: Yeah, I really don't get this because if you want to thread the cable nicely, you've pretty much got to do it with the plug-in and in the uk the plug has three prongs on it and it's quite big so i just find it bizarre that they've done it Look, it's a beautiful screen but they could just use a standard cable i i can't really see, I abide that decision
0: have you got any updates on the uh, beta software to improve the camera on it or have you not been there so
1: i haven't really installed it because i'm not using the camera on it because my ipad won't support the camera and i didn't really want to upgrade my mac to the beta when i'm fairly confident a month from now going to be going, going full beta so I've, I've left it there's not enough in that beta update to make me want to do it
0: yeah fair enough and the reports say the camera looks a little bit better but it's not fixed
1: there is at night recording a new beta out for the studio display and for all other ios mac os devices so maybe worth looking at again
0: yeah, I wonder who's buying the screen for the camera. If you're really into how good you look, you've probably got a nice 4K camera parked on top of your display and you're doing it that. It's very different ask for somebody who's using an iPad and the proximity of an iPad to your face. So it is what it is. It
1: is, and the screen is still stunning, by the way. So I'm very happy I've got a screen with our camera and it is how I picture it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's fine. It's a really nice screen. If you want that resolution, you've got two options, really. The Apple Studio display and the LG UltraFine. And there's not a lot of money between them, and you get a camera thrown in. I suppose you could say with the studio display, bargain, but total bargain at seventeen hundred quid. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can move on from that. So Apple uh, released their March, sorry, their Q2 results, and had a ninety-seven billion dollar quarter. That's quite a lot of money.
1: Yeah, I can't even comprehend that. <laughs> That's a lot of money, isn't it? Um, they're doing really well, and their Q2 is up. It was up this time last year. And that was up from previous years. You know they're doing really well. I think that's that's fair to say. Annoyingly, for me, the iPad is down a smidge. Not that surprised. I don't think there's anything to worry about. They need to work out what they're doing with the iPad, I think. And and obviously the, I guess there hasn't been anything major exciting in the in the iPad hardware front because we had all that. Late last year when we had the mini and the updated base model and Christmas and what have you. But Mac, Mac seems to be doing really well, which is no surprise, given that we've got the new Pros. We just had the studio and the studio display. I, I did wonder, though, looking at these graphs. So they've got categories and they class either iPhone, wearables, services, Mac or iPad. It seemed quite obvious. Where, where, where do you put your iPhone cable, you know, your lightning adapter? Where, where does your Thunderbolt cables go? Where does your studio display go? I assume it goes under Mac for that. But if I buy a USB-C to lightning cable, where does that go? Do they just stick it in the iPhone one because it looks good?
0: I can't believe they stick it in iPhone, but you're right. There should be a wedge for accessories. So I wonder if they actually sneak it into services, really. Well, I don't know if they need to inflate that number. If you think of the services they offer, certainly you know, Apple TV Plus is growing. Your your typical subscription for your the storage for iCloud is definitely something everybody needs, and and music and all the other bits and pieces you get as well like Fitness Plus, which we've touched on in the past. But the service, you know, of of the pie chart that which are, will be available in the, the show notes. By far, over 50% of it is the iPhone. The iPhone is 52% of the company's revenue for Q2, 2000, which is for 2022, which isn't surprising. The iPhone is the cash cow for the company. These other wedges are growing to a greater or lesser degree. The, the Mac is up, as you've said, and the iPad shrinks. And this is kind of the pattern. If, if this year is an iPad year in the software, maybe it'll grow a little bit. But wearables, to me, is actually the most interesting category because that's watches. I see an awful lot of watches on people's wrists. I see an awful lot of AirPods in people's ears. And you think that's only 9% of their total um, their quarterly revenue. I mean, that that is a huge amount of devices. I suppose they're not the amount of money that you pay for a phone or a Mac. But only 9% of the whole company. I find that a little surprising.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see the same graph based on quantity sold and have the same, same pie chart. And you're right, I think there's lots of people with AirPods and Apple Watches, but the average selling price is a lot cheaper. And actually... I've, been noticing a lot of AirPods. A lot of people have gone for the AirPods two because they're still around, and they haven't gone to AirPods three, which are say fifty pounds more expensive. Very few people have the Pros, so I think they are tackling the cheaper end of the market. From honest there, I find it interesting that the iPhone still fifty two percent in Q two, which is a quarter after Christmas. Everybody's had the new devices. You know, you're only you know you're, you're getting part way now towards the refresh coming up. So they clearly have strong sales all through the year. And I guess it's some people ending contracts or what have you, not bothered about having the latest, but just want a better phone. And there is a deal to do it. Maybe it's with a mobile operator, but it's still 52% in a quarter where you wouldn't expect that that demand. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting. And if you scroll through it, these graphs are from Jason Snell, who does a great job of, of turning the Apple earnings call into charts that are understandable and there's a couple of ones that jump out at me one is the fact that the home stuff is bundled into wearables so it's wearables and home accessories so that's home pods and that's apple tv pluses and things like that as well so that's interesting that that goes in there and then the other graph is the is the services revenue since they launched it in in q3 whenever it would have been you know 2018 i think when they classed it under its own thing and it just goes up every year from 7.7% of the company when it when it launched to 19.8% of the company of the, of the quarterly earnings call now i mean that's what you want to see as the you know as the shareholder in a company is sort of continual growth like that in in quite a new category for them still so i don't think they'll be worrying about having it spend lots of money on various programming for apple tv plus when the services revenue is coming in like that
1: yeah the services revenue bar graph just looks perfect doesn't it? it's like a textbook business studies nice straight line going from bottom left to top right job done i'd love to see how that's broken down between Apple Music, fitness, iCloud, you know, all all of those sorts of things they do obviously TV plus it'd be great just to see it as a stacked bar chart and the same on all of them it'd be great to see them all as stacked bar charts like what what, what are they actually looking at inside like wearables how many's home pods how many's watches how many's airpods just it'd be fascinating
0: yeah and apple famously don't release how many of x or y they sell you know so we don't know how much of you know uh, iPhones is the cheapest iphone versus the iPod pro, uh, iphone pro max is. so it, it is interesting the sort of last thing before we move on is if you look at that wearable home accessories graph the the bumps, so it it climbs nicely as well, in the same way that services do. But you get the bumps in in Q one for every year, and you think that's the Christmas effect, isn't it? It's the
1: seasonality, yeah, definitely.
0: So just interesting, obviously, new AirPods for Christmas, or new Apple TV plus, or or I'll buy you a services revenue is is oh, sort this is wearable, so or I'll buy you a HomePod. That, that's, that's quite interesting.
1: And I'm are quite good presents. They're sub a hundred pounds in the UK. You know, if you're buying one for somebody in your family that they want to put in their bedroom or, or wherever. I was debating it for my children. We've got, They've got iPads. You know, they could just have a little speaker in their room. They'd probably quite enjoy that. They want an alarm. You know, it's it's quite a nice little product. It's not too expensive. And if you can get a deal on them.
0: Yeah, I've seen them as low as sort of 70, 80 pounds on hot UK deals so here in the UK in the colors as well, not just the white and gray that they came out with. It's kind of dependent on you having an iTunes account. Of some description. By that I mean an Apple Music account, not an iTunes account. So you can tell it to stream music. Otherwise, it's you can use it as an airplay speaker, but it's not the whole experience. I
1: definitely agree with that, and we've got it all on the family bundle. So my boys make the most of that.
0: Yep, good. I think that'll do it for uh, the news for us then, and we can move back onto media now.
1: Yeah. So first up, we've got in the documentary, we've got rumours of Apple and NFL. So, what's your thoughts on this after the after the baseball?
0: I think it's interesting, apparently. So the rumor is that if this is a done deal, they've got one of the games, I think it's Sunday football, or they've got so they can show potentially all of the Sunday games across the American market on an Apple TV or on the Apple TV Plus service. This, if it's a done deal, is nothing but an attempt to get subscribers, as far as I can see. There was a service in America called Dish TV, I think it was, who launched uh, with this Sunday uh, Sunday game uh, from the NFL. And it made them a huge amount of money. They got lots and lots of subscribers and it made the company. So if Apple can do this, and I suspect they won't do this for free in the same way that they've done baseball, there'll be an additional premium on top of this to watch this service. Good on them. We we speculated before that they were going to grow the sports and sort of the live broadcasting part of Apple TV+. Plus, and if this is true, then it makes complete sense. You're going to get subscribers, you're going to get eyeballs on it, and you're going to sell devices possibly to Apple TV+. Plus. But to me, no, you, you give your thoughts on that, and I'll give you my sort of provisos of thinking of what could be the limitation of it.
1: I think you may sell devices. Like if you take somebody that's got an old TV or doesn't know how to get on Apple TV but wants to watch something on the big screen, you may get a device, or you may get, oh, just get a Roku or Fire Stick or whatever supports Apple TV, a much cheaper one. But then I also think that you're also going to get people that go, oh, I need to watch Apple, so I need an Apple device. So I think there will be a little bit of that. So they may get some devices, but surely that's the smaller thing they're worried about because it's a one-time £150 dollar income against hopefully a reoccurring revenue stream of a subscription.
0: Yeah, this I think they may be missing a trick here. So I walked my dog, I go around the park, I got talking to a couple of my neighbours who really enjoyed Long Way Down and Long Way Round. And I said, oh, have you seen the new Long Way Up that's available on Apple TV Plus? And A, they went, no, what's that? Never heard of it. Be how do I get Apple TV Plus? I've only got this iPhone. Does that mean I've got to go and buy a new TV? Does it mean, what can I do? So I don't think they're reaching out with the fact that the Apple TV Plus app is now available on your Amazon Fire Stick or your Google Stick or your Roku or or, your, your TV Smart app, for example. My LG behind me has got Apple TV Plus built into it. In fact, it keeps trying to offer me three months free service. So it's there, but I just, I wonder if people are making that association that they can watch this new service on these devices and are they selling enough that these services are available?
1: So what was your advice though, to that person? I'm curious.
0: I asked them how old their iPhone was. And she said, I only bought it in the last couple of months. I said, well, the chances are you've got free Apple TV plus on there for a year anyway. So you could gather around your phone, but if you don't already have one, go and buy a Roku stick for 20 quid and stick it in your TV.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good plan for most people. It is going to be interesting, but I think you're right. People don't understand how they can get a hold of Apple TV. I think they've got some work to do there because Apple famously have had services that run on their kit and they haven't really supported others. And so they've, they've got to face into that and deal with it.
0: It's important. It was a big step for them to actually make the service available on other devices. And now they need to advertise that it is available on those other devices because you, most people, I suspect, buy a Roku stick to maybe do a bit of iPlayer catch-up if their TV doesn't support it. And they might look at the Apple TV Plus app and go, well, what do I need that for? What's on that service? And other than the odd advert for Ted Lasso, I don't see a lot of them pushing this you know, on any of, of traditional media, certainly, or, or even on streaming media in terms of advertising.
1: Yeah, they kind of need that advert like, Watch all these great shows on all these devices you don't, and maybe you don't push that you need an Apple device. So, interesting marketing problem.
0: It is an interesting marketing problem. And as we've discussed and we're about to discuss again, they've got such quality shows in there mostly that people are missing out. And if you haven't seen it, long way up, it's definitely worth a watch. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. So, I'm going to talk about something that I tried to watch and didn't enjoy at all. So, There was a little bit of advertising for the new show Shining Girls, which has Elizabeth Moss in it, from Mad Men and from The Handmaid's Tale, which I haven't watched because it looks too unremissingly grim for me. But she's excellent in Mad Men. And in fact, a police thriller called Top of the Lake as well that was on the BBC. Excellent actress. Always good in everything she's done. I've I've enjoyed almost everything that she's been in. I tried to watch Shining Girls. I watched the first episode of Shining Girls. I had to force myself to get to the end. I didn't enjoy it at all. Have you had a go?
1: No, I have not seen it. It looked interesting, but I think I've just got too much queued up.
0: That's a valid reason. I don't know if me saying that it didn't do anything for me might add to it. It was just unremittingly slow, grim, didn't have quite the shine or the sheen, as we've come to describe, of, of the Apple shows that we're used to. And yeah, it, it was a really tr- tough watch for me. It's, it's got a vague science fiction element to it, which normally is a guarantee for me to sort of be addicted to it and watch it all the way through. And even that slight hook didn't really sell it to me. I'd I very much doubt I'll go back and watch the second episode.
1: For me, I found with Severance, I got hooked on Severance after episode two. So could there be that with this or is it complete? You've got no interest to watch it.
0: I don't know. I think if there was absolutely nothing else for me to watch, I might go back and give it a go again. But uh, they have done the usual Apple thing of dropping three episodes and then they're going to do the rest week by week by week. So maybe they are hoping that. But again, I I, I really struggle to be compelled to watch a second episode.
1: I am a big fan of the Drop 3 release weekly. I'm there. I'm sold on that format.
0: Yep, fair enough. So you haven't tried that. But another thing I haven't talked about, but you have, was Slow Horses, which after your recommendation last show i went off and watched i watched the first one i very very quickly watched the second one afterwards because i thought these are brilliant characters well written well acted looks fantastic moves along it's just a well-constructed drama thriller thing that i thought was great and i've blitzed finished all the season one in in a very short order what do you think i thoroughly enjoyed it gary oldman was absolutely excellent but actually didn't stand out that much amongst that sort of cadre of actors they were all superb and i recognize most I think that's of this fair yeah that Really, really good. Almost no complaints about the show at all. And then at the end, I got the gift of them saying and season two will be along fairly soon. So that was really unexpected.
1: Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. I like, I think I said to you privately, I, I kind of had an inkling season two was coming because they mentioned some of the locations. So I think they filmed one and two back to back. I loved all, like you, loved all the characters. For me, I found Gary Oldman a bit like the character he played in Prisoner of Azkaban, just this kind of wily sort of character with long hair, but just, yeah, excellent. Really good. And I, I would agree with you. I think all of the characters were very good. Obviously, Gary Oldman's one of the most famous people in it, but all the supporting cast, amazing. Really well filmed. Yeah, just, yeah, quite quite an enjoyable show. And it actually made me go and buy all the audiobooks, and I've started working my way through the audiobooks to listen to them. And I think they're really well written, and I can't believe I missed it.
0: I mean, one of the things I really liked about it was the foil of having Kristen Scott Thomas sort of as the as the good MI5 agent on the other side, as the director. And they were only in a couple of scenes together, but they played off each other extremely well, and they created a lot of backstory just through some excellent acting and scripting, so you know the pair of them, top of their game, just are really well done. Very impressed.
1: Yeah. I, I completely agree, and like I say, it's an interesting take. I think we talked about this last week. Of it's the they're not so good agents, the agents haven't made it. A whole show about them because normally you only see the really good people or the the ones at the top of their game. So I love it. I'm hoping they're going to do. There's quite a few books um, spanning a number of years that, that the author's written. So I'm hoping they're going to carry on doing. It. I hope it gets. Picked up for future seasons.
0: Yep, so uh, that's a recommend from both of us. If you haven't, go and watch Little Horses on Apple TV Plus. Good. I think that'll do it for media. We can move on to gaming. And there wasn't a lot for me to talk about this month. You know, where I think our, both of us either haven't had time or our Gran Turismo addictions have, have run their course. And there's been other bits and pieces. Slay the Spire came out on PS uh, on PlayStation Network, so I've hit that quite hard. As usual, N- I have not. <laughs> but I have another little recommendation um, by a developer called Zach Gauge. And if you're familiar with Zach Gage's work, he's written some amazing games going back in the day. Ridiculous Fishing, uh, Slow Pool, all sorts of bits and pieces like that. Threes, 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 good Sudoku, you know, games of that nature. Just pick up and play for, I know you love your threes. Three minutes, 30 seconds or three hours. You know, they've they've got that sort of longevity.
1: I would hate to see the combined stats of me playing threes. I don't know why, it just works in my wheelhouse of... I'm bored for five minutes, or I just want just want to relax for five minutes. I will play threes. I think he's amazing. I've played nearly all of his games. I think think he's very clever. I'm assuming it's him that comes up with the concepts. He works usually with another developer. I have played not words that we're talking about.
0: What did you think? I thought it was great. It's a, it's a, a real sort of interesting mix between Wordle, Sudoku and crosswords. It, it just works really well for me, the way that it does the suggestions and what letters you can play here. It really gets you thinking it's well done.
1: I agreed. I think it was very clever. I think just where I struggle personally is I'm very dyslexic and spelling is not my forte, as I'm sure Rod, you know, as I text you frequently. But I think it's really clever. I must show it to my wife actually because I think she'd really enjoy it because she is very good with words and spot, spotting the patterns and, and, that, and that's where my brain just do, does struggle a little. So sadly, I don't think it's quite the game for me. I did enjoy it, but found it a little frustrating just because of how I spell words. But no, I'm definitely going to recommend it to her. I think she, she'd enjoy it a lot.
0: For me, it's sort of, they're almost five minutes too late with the wordle phenomenon that's going on that was bought by the New York Times and almost everybody I know does the wordle every day. Yep. A snap. And this sort of could really seize on that moment because, and this is the other thing I found really surprising about it, is that it's not just an iOS or an iPad OS device. It's available on Steam and it's available on Google Play. So they've really broadened the audience. And so far, it hasn't asked me for any money, which I'll I'll happily give them money because I'm enjoying it so much. So no in-app yeah, purchases.
1: Yeah. I think there are in-app purchases if you want to unlock some of the other levels from what I could see. I'm amazed on Steam because in my head, and I haven't played on Steam for a long time, but for me, that's why I go and buy my 3D game, my big games, as it were. So I'm surprised that it's on that platform. But you know what? Steam Deck, I guess that's, that's, that's going change, to change the ballpark on what games are played, I guess, a lot. And, and that may well pick up some casual gamers like the Switch.
0: Yeah, and the indie darlings are very much a feature on Steam these days. Your big AAA titles, your Call of Duties and your Monster Hunter Worlds and your Fortnite, well, maybe not Fortnite because it's not on Steam, but I agree with you. The big 3D games and the ones that have a lot of marketing tend to be the first thought that go on there. But it, there is a lot under the surface, Super Meat Boy and things like that were, that were discovered um, on Steam are very much part of it. So well done to them. I wish them every success. And, you know, it's interesting you talking about, the Steam Deck, because I believe that your uh, hoped-for handheld has actually been released, uh, or been released into uh, owners' hands this week as well.
1: Yeah, so look, I'm I'm waiting for the play date. I did order, I'm in Wave 2, so I think I've got a little bit more waiting to do. But it's great, Wave 1's finally going out to everybody, so it is getting out there in the masses. I'm really interested to see it. The one bit that surprised me is they don't seem to have an app store, or not even an app store, a catalogue per se, which would seems a bit of a miss so third parties can write games for it you can just go and pay a third party for it kind of like we used to do in the old days of a palm pilot Um, you using buy those apps but it just feels odd that they haven't got a catalog of here's a whole bunch of games that you may want to play outside of the ones provided by the first party so yeah but i'm super looking forward to it it's it is a bit of a toy at 180 pounds but i can't wait for it i'm so excited
0: I think we've described it before. It's like a modern take on the, the the original Game Boy. It's black and white. It's got a decent battery on it. It doesn't even have a backlight on the screen, I'm right in thinking.
1: Correct. I think the backlight is a miss.
0: Yeah. So that that might be... It's a factor. I'm sure it keeps the cost of the hardware down a little bit. But I thought their sort of hook for this device was that when you bought one, you had a seasonal release and they released one or two games a week for 15 weeks or something like that. So you got those new games as it went as it rolled on.
1: They are doing that with... I was going to say first party, but I guess first party blessed games. So they've got a whole bunch that you're going to get. I think it's two a week, say for 10 weeks, so 20 games from when you first get it, which I think is great. But I think they need that mechanism because they are encouraging people to use the SDK and make make games either through the full-blown SDK or use what they call pulp, which is, I'm trying to think of the right words, more for doing point-and-click adventures, but, but you don't need to do full coding on it. But they don't seem to have a catalogue or anywhere, you know, a central place of, looking at these games now i guess they've got the problem there of are they endorsing a third party if they recommend a game payments and all that side loading stuff we talked around with apple but um i don't i'm super curious just to try it out and hope i assume by the time i get mine there'll be a bit more out there on on what third parties are up to
0: yeah it looked good i follow quinn nelson uh snappy labs on twitter and he got his delivered i think yesterday and it just looked like a fun little device it looked like you know the he was enjoying the experience of, of almost being a kid again and getting that new fun thing into his hand to play with. And then the experience of getting games delivered to you, that's that's quite nice too, I've got to say. So yeah, that, it, it, seeing it in the flesh made it a little more appealing to me, but I still think I'm happier I picked a Steam Deck at this point. I've got a huge library of games on that on there already. I've got time to see if the Playdate improves or if they actually get more, more into people's hands because it's taken all of these companies a long time to get them released to people. So yeah, good. Well done, Playdate. I'm glad it's getting out there. Yeah, I'll
1: keep you posted. Hopefully we can pick that up in three months' time.
0: Three months' time. Maybe we need a little uh, YouTube channel or some video reviews of these things as well when we get them. Yeah, C- we could do that. We could do that. Good. Okay, uh, move on to the main show, I think, Chris. Yeah, so think we've got a
1: couple of uh, books to talk about this week. So we've got, there's two that have come into my purview. I know you're aware of the After Steve book, which looks quite interesting of what happened at apple after steve jobs uh, passed away and i think actually hearing a little bit around it kind of sheds light on what i think people thought had happened or guessed might have happened with how a lot of roads led to johnny ives door who was there i can't remember his previous job title but he ended up being the chief design officer and he was heavily involved obviously back in the late 90s in designing the imac and then obviously the ipod and then literally everything else went through his studio and i th- believe under steve jobs he had a lot of autonomy um, and worked quite closely with steve on product because steve was heavily involved in product design decisions but obviously it was johnny and the team that agreed or you know worked out with the aesthetics and the materials and the manufacturing processes and we take steers from steve then obviously steve passed away tim leads the show tim cook though wasn't famously not a product guy but an operations guy And Apple have got amazing operations for the sheer volumes that they work at, but didn't have that, I guess, that person at a very senior level for Johnny to have to filter ideas and may explain some decisions that got released that shouldn't have done. I'm more thinking the max around the 25, 15 era here and all the issues we've had with that. But very interesting. And then if you remember a few years ago, they actually released a book around all these products starting with with the iMac and going away to the Apple Watch. And it feels like that was something that Johnny was doing as a final, here's a portfolio of all my work. And it was kind of that end of the era. He was also heavily involved in the designing of Apple Park and all the details there, you know. So I think really interesting. But I, I think sadly, I don't think Johnny had the exit that he probably should have done. Maybe he should have gone earlier kind of thing. And it is tricky when you've got a figurehead like that because on one side you're going to have Tim Cook worrying about investors and share price and then on the other side you're trying to worry about shipping good products that people want and then you've got somebody that potentially isn't as fulfilled as he used to be and wants to exit the company and I guess there's a lot to manage
0: Yeah, I mean that, that's a really good summary Chris of, of how we got to this point and I remember after Steve died there was a whole thing that you shouldn't be held to what would Steve do? And Tim Cook was encouraged to get on and do it. And he was very much the person blessed by Steve himself to get on and manage the company. And I think Tim, even when Steve was alive, was the guy who got products made. You know, whatever Johnny designed or whatever Steve wanted in them, Tim Cook had that supply chain insight. He had that production insight to actually get from the inception of an idea, be it by an engineer or be it from a designer or from inside of Steve's head, you know, off the drawing board into software, into hardware, and actually made in China primarily, which may become another headache for for Apple down the line a little bit. But you kind of need. You could see that trifecta of people and all the engineers and all the clever people inside Apple to get it done. Johnny was very much, you know, Sir Johnny as, as he is, as you said, very influential in designing the original iMac, that Bondi Blue colour, that transparency, and all the other great products that came after it. Until ultimately he probably had too much power. He became involved with the software side of it and it all did start to go a little bit wrong with the obsession with thinness in that MacBook Pro with the butterfly keyboard that seems to be the pinnacle of where it happened but i think if you peeked a little bit deeper you could see something in the in the what was it second generation, third generation Mac Pro, the trash can Mac where, you know, they designed themselves into a corner with that product. It looked like a bin. It didn't have the curb, cooling. It was thermally throttled. There was no upgrades in it for a Mac Pro. It was all designed to be external. These days, we probably wouldn't bat an eyelid when we look at the M1, the Mac Studio and things like that. But back then, it was definitely a factor that that was a, a dead-end product, that that version of the Mac Pro. And I think there must have been a counterpoint between Steve and Johnny where Johnny would put the design out there and Steve, or at least somebody who, f- who was like Steve and understood that products actually had to be used by customers to make them useful, that you can't just pursue one element of a design right then, be it thinness or, or whatever the thing is that you choose, external ports only. You need that counterpoint to go, yeah, but at the end of the day, somebody actually needs to use this as a computer. They want to type on this computer keyboard without it getting crisps in it or dust in it. Uh, and it needs to continue to work for that period of time. And That, combined with the increasing responsibility, and there's there's a quote that I'll put in the show notes as well from the book, that I suspect that it got too much for Johnny Ive. He was a designer. He wanted to run a team of of designers who wanted to come up with cool ideas. And if you're having to manage staff and you're having to balance budgets, and you are, as you said, worried about the share price because that's what the chief executive wants you to pursue at the cost of all else, it's probably not very satisfying when you're a multi-multi-millionaire and you've had that level of achievement in your life.
1: Yeah, and especially when you are a designer, a creative person, like chasing budgets and, and as shareholders, it's just, I don't know, it's it's not the right thing. So I think they've made a mistake. I do remember a long time ago somebody saying after Steve passed that the way Steve Jobs set it up was that Johnny would end up with ultimate control. Maybe that's what happened, but it just didn't work out as as planned or, you know... And it's one of those things. It's really hard, isn't it? Succession planning is hard. I see it in a lot of organizations and it's, it's really tough to know how somebody's going to act in a role that they haven't done before. And so I, I agree, maybe too much pressure. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting book. I'm quite tempted to get it on Audible actually because I enjoy listening to it. And you, we learn a few things, especially in an era when we did follow Apple quite closely and we're, we're buying a lot of products and complaining about some and loving others. So.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's likely to be insights in there. That that we'll see in the products that we've used every day, or we'll you know, maybe be in our hands at some point in the future as well. And those, those insights are always useful. And I I am quite I am interested in Apple history, going back to you know Steve starting the company, uh, Steve Steve Wozniak starting the company from the outset, through to the sort of w- when they got the Pepsi Cola uh, chief to replace Steve Jobs back in the day, and where they took the company in terms of all the Apple clones and licensing the operating system and the various craziness of, of the lack of focus, actually, for want of a better word, on a product line. And Steve famously came back for the 30 or 40 max, plus the Newton, plus the various ideas that they had ongoing, and did that two-by-two, very business grid. We've got, we've got desktops, we've got portables, we've got the iPod, we've got this, and that's just the way that we're going to go, and simplified the line right the way across the board. So it, the history and where it leads us to now is definitely interesting, and I think you're right. I think there'll be a lot of stuff in this book that will give it a bit of insight into what happened at Apple, through those years where where Johnny's team took charge of the software and took over that and pursued that thinness in the MacBook Pro down to the level that it is. They even
1: pursued the thinness of the font. If you remember, iOS 7 first beta had really thin fonts and then got course corrected, thankfully, before release. But it was just that whole thinness everywhere, wasn't it? It was It was quite a thing.
0: It was, but I think that was Scott Forstall, wasn't it? Was iOS 7 or was he made to fall on his sword for Scott for, for iOS 7? He, he he
1: left before iOS 7 and that's iOS Seven was when Johnny had taken over both sides of the fence—the hardware and the software.
0: Yeah, interesting times. Yeah, I think that is worth a read. That's uh, maybe a bit of light reading for the summer holidays. Is uh, to either listen to or, or, or read it. So it's called about uh, about Steve the book. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. To quick quick
1: follow up after Steve,
0: I might just edit that out. <laughs> So the book is called After Steve, and it might be worth checking out. We'll put a link in the show notes to Amazon, but of course, support your local booksellers as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely do support your local booksellers. I'm a big, big fan of that. I've also added in another link into our show notes for another Apple related book, which was actually from Tony Fidel, who some call him the godfather of the iPod. Apparently he came up with the industrial design for that and how it was all going to work together. And if memory serves, they largely bought um, off-the-shelf components, such as they had a hard drive, they had a screen, and they basically came up with a, a package to put it all together and then obviously went through many, many iterations. And whilst that product's not really around today, if they hadn't done the iPod, they probably wouldn't have got to the iPhone. The iPod was very much a leapfrog product to get them into the iPhone. It got them, into, it got them further into music. It got them the industrial design. It got them into the mainstream. And without it, they wouldn't have had the revenue, I don't think to then pursue designing the iPhone and coming up with that. So I think it's going to be an interesting book, but very different, obviously, to the After Steve book. It feels like the After Steve book is more about the creativity and the exec and how, how the company was working inside, whereas this book by Tony Fidel is more about how do I take something and build it? And and I'm, I'm a little bit interested in it. I'm not a very creative person in making things, but I'm just interested in how some of these ideas came around. And then uh, Tony Fidel actually then left and set up Nest, and designed uh, thermostats, which then got acquired by Google. I think he then got consumed into a massive company and had to absorb products into his Nest line that weren't designed by him and didn't necessarily have the same design aesthetics that Nest had. I had a couple of Nest products, the thermostat and the smoke alarm. I thought it very well designed, very Apple-esque in essence, a bit like my heroes I've got. You can see that they they've learned a lot from Apple, where they had engineers from Apple or just just inspired by how they present things. But no, I, th- I think Tony Fidel's book's going to be, be interesting and another one I'm planning to pick up.
0: Yeah, interesting character. Obviously had a bit of an obsession with uh, dial interfaces, though, because both the Nest thermostat and the original iPod obviously had the, you know, the iPod had the click wheel and the Nest thermostat... Mirrored an old-fashioned thermostat where you actually turned a knob on it and it changed the, the you know the the temperature based on you twisting that as opposed to the up and down arrows that most thermostats have. So I can kind of see that. Yeah, interesting character for Tony Fidel. I mean, he left Apple a long time you know a long time ago now and has had these sort of additional spin-up companies similar to Steve Wozniak in that sense. You know, Steve Wozniak went through a whole rake of companies after he left Apple. So yeah. It, these executives and these designers and these engineers that work quite a big noise at Apple do tend to go on and do interesting things after they leave the company. I think talent always w- wins out, doesn't it? And yeah, I think you're right. It does sound like quite an interesting book.
1: I, no, definitely. And interesting, your point around the dial interface. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it. I do wonder though, and you, if you remember like when the first iPhone came out and you had a table view and you tap on it and it shows you another table view and then a detail view. For me you could definitely see the origins of that on the ipod and part of me does wonder if we didn't have the ipod would we have not only had the iphone but also the interface and some of the the uh, paradigms that that brought of how you navigate rows you know tables and drill down because you can see a lot of similarity you know like with the disclosure icon being able to you know use the click wheel to go through a list and it's very similar to how we scroll to that even today and then tap through and and that so uh, yeah I, th- I think it'd be quite interesting i hope there'll be We'll learn, learn some more things from that book. So, so a couple of good books, I think.
0: No, you're not wrong. Form, form definitely follows function when it comes to these kinds of things. And I think the lessons they learned from from the iPod obviously stayed within the company. It made them a lot of money. I mean, almost more than the iMac, you could say the iPod saved Apple you know, as it led to music and all to those kinds of devices, which weren't a feature of Apple Computer before they changed the name and dropped the computer off of there. So no, I think to, to sum up two interesting books, the history of Apple is... is Worth reading from a business point of view for how you go from being a hugely successful company to not, to being a hugely successful company again. And you have got largely, it's stated as one man's vision, Steve Jobs, to sort of pull the company out from where it was and get it out going. But when you look at these other people we're talking about, Tony Fidel, Johnny Ive, Tim Cook, all of them had a, have had a huge part to play in sort of the development of the company and where it is now compared to where it was. So yeah, interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely. Really interesting. I I do like a good book, so I'm quite happy.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. My last thing was more just of a of a thought experiment more than anything else. So I came across this story on Hacker News about how. We should stop using to do for everything, and we've talked about to do lists a couple of times. And, you know, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, and you know, you know the, the example given in the article that we'll link to is to do add an image to this article, and there's no image in the article. But you know, it, this is typically the way all to do apps. I must do this by this date, or often we don't even put a date on them, and. The argument of this article is that you just need to be more specific. Instead of doing to-do when we're talking about fixing things in code, instead of you should have, say, fix me for to fix this exact thing so you could differentiate your tasks a little bit better. And I know you can do tags and you can put your to-dos and categories and all the rest of it, but I think most people don't use them like that. They've got a big inbox that they might sort by work and by home, but not much more than that. There's more functionality in to-do apps than, than most people make use of. So I just thought this was an interesting paradigm, really, for sort of trying to flip it on on its head and not putting it in folders but actually making it explicit in the task.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I'm probably the world's worst person at to-do lists and stuff. I've never found a good mechanism that works for me. If where do I write all my to-dos down? Sometimes I'm you know, in a meeting with my notebook, sometimes I have my I write on my iPad, sometimes I make notes on my iPad with the keyboard. I just I'm, I'm awful at it. So I'm probably the worst person to talk to about. What do you think?
0: I quite like the idea. And it makes me think that exactly what you sort of touched on there is that most to-do apps are broken. They've got this the wrong way around because all of us are continuously, either we're very disorganized and it doesn't matter what app we use, which I suspect is probably the case for most people, or we're just using them wrong. And I think the paradigm is wrong with just a list of to-dos that people can cross off. I don't think they capture all the things that need to be done for everybody. That's That's a sweeping sort of generalization because you find people that are very productive. You know, back in the you know the early days of the internet, people at like Merlin Man who were you know thirty-seven signals and doing all those kinds of things and had various getting things done applications methodologies. I even read a book on getting things done as a, as a means of doing it. And Omni have released software that supports GTD, and there's Pomodoro techniques, and there's a whole variety of techniques for it. But you always, I think it only sticks with a very small percentage of people. And I suspect those people were likely to be successful and quite organized to begin with. Most of them probably don't need an expansive to-do list where they can deal with this in five minutes or move on and schedule it for later because they've got that kind of brain anyway. So I just, for me, it's a gap in the market or a gap in development that something like this has more chance of sticking by flipping it on its head, or at least trying something different, and I'm not just re- releasing yet another to-do app or yet another methodology. It's it's a we've got to change the way we think about these things fundamentally, and then capture it, you know, in a more structured, useful way for most people, not the two or three percent of highly organized people anyway.
1: Yeah, okay, I can I can see where you're coming from with this. I can see where you're coming from. Stop
0: using to-do for everything. <laughs> I do quite like that. Because we do. And to-do is a shopping list, or to-do is fix some code, or to-do is I'm running this project and I've got 15 tasks they are going to kill me before the end of the week. Technically, I'm a project manager, and what I do is I write big lists of to-dos for other people to do by dates. And I've got my methodology of doing that. It involves a lot of Gantt charts and writing things down, but... I fit the software, the software doesn't fit me. And I think that's sort of the broader point I've got about all this, is that that, that I think there's something better out there. And this sort of gives me the glimpse that, you know, maybe it is possible that we'll do for more people. That's all.
1: Yeah, so my my to-do list is my email. And if I need to just do something ad hoc, I just send myself an email. It seems bonkers in this day and age, but that's how I do it. But you know what? It does work for me.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's it, isn't it? Is everybody's found the thing that kind of does? I mean, a lot of people I work with they still pick up a ring bound notebook off the desk and they write it down in there and they scratch them off by hand, and that that works for people. But again, I, I just in my gut I feel there's something better, and th- this may not be it, but it sort of I think it informs the way forward that we just need to think about this a little bit differently, think cleverer about it for for what sorts the majority, not the minority. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, okay, it's a good thought piece maybe to end on
0: i think so it's a good place to end yep good show chris
1: perfect nice amazing how quickly's gone right so end of, end of this week's show we'll be back next week as at the usual sort of time on monday And if you want to get in contact with us do drop us an email at wake from sleep at protonmail.com or you can reach out on twitter which is wfs underscore podcast and love to hear any feedback anything you want us to talk about or look at really happy for a bit of input on, on what works what doesn't thanks ever so much
0: brilliant talk to you next week cheers rod